0: Hello. Welcome to Texas True Crime. I am your host, Jessica. I am so glad that you're here with me this week. There has been quite a bit of things going on in the true crime community. First of all, have any of you been keeping up with the whole Carly Russell thing? What do you think? Was she abducted? Was there a toddler on the side of the road? Or did she make it all up? At first, I thought, oh my goodness, this poor woman, she thought she was doing a good thing by helping a child, but the more things come out, it looks like she faked it. So I'd love to hear your thoughts, share them with me. You know, you can always email me, Podcast at gmail.com. You can send me a message on Instagram at texastruecrimepod, or you can find me on Facebook at Texas true crime. So share your thoughts with me on this whole Carly Russell thing. Also, uh, what about the long Island serial killer? They finally figured out who he is. I am so happy for the families of the victims. And I saw that his wife is divorcing him. I mean, no shocker there who wants to be married to the long Island serial killer, but man it's taken a long time to catch him, but that was really interesting and I've really uh, I remember when they were finding all those bodies on the beach and and here they are now they've finally found him. Thank goodness. So anyway, share your thoughts. I'd love to hear from you and remember if you are enjoying the podcast, tell a friend word of mouth makes all the difference. also please re- leave a five star review and let's get started on today's episode so we are going to the small town of robinson texas right outside of waco if you are a fan of fixer upper and you like to watch chip and joanna odds are you've probably seen them in robinson because it is very close and they do fix houses there in robinson as well as in waco we're going to be talking about darlene gentry now darlene was a beautiful blonde you know typical texas homecoming queen what you would picture that stereotype to look like big blonde hair blue eyes outgoing big smile all the things well she met keith gentry when they were in college and to everyone on the outside They looked like they had a great marriage. They were young, they had good jobs, three precious little boys. And so on the outside, everything was picture perfect. But as we all know, looks can be deceiving. No one would ever think that the former homecoming queen would shoot her husband while he slept in their bed and their three young sons were right there in the house with them. Darlene and Keith met during their junior year at texas state technical college which is located in waco now darlene did not grow up in robinson like keith did but she was from another small town very close by called cameron darlene was studying to be a dental assistant she said she didn't really know what she wanted to be but she knew she needed to go to college and get a degree of some kind and she didn't really like her teeth so she decided hey why not be a dental assistant? And I can get my teeth fixed at the same time. Keith was there and he was studying drafting and welding. Now, like I said, Darlene was outgoing. She people she was used to people paying attention to her. She was striking. And she liked people. And Keith was tall, dark and handsome. They made a very attractive couple. Well, when the couple graduated in 1997 Darlene was ready to settle down and get married then but Keith was not so Darlene said she didn't want to do the long distance thing she didn't want to try to keep in touch they broke up and Darlene moved to Dallas and went to work at a dentist office and Keith went back to his hometown of Robinson Darlene lived in Dallas for about a year and decided though that she needed to move back to a smaller town when her car got broken into she decided that the big city was not for her well after she had moved back home she and keith ran into each other one night when they were out dancing and rekindled their relationship but this time keith proposed and the couple got married in 1999. they built a house that was right across the street from the little league baseball field Keith's parents lived on one side of the couple in their home and then on the other side right next door Keith's sister and her family lived next to them so it was the picture perfect small town setup grandparents were right next door to help take care of the kids aunt and uncle and cousins were on the other side built-in playmates it was exactly what you would would want For a while, the couple seemed like everything was great. Keith's father said that it was obvious Darlene was smitten with Keith. She doted on him and whatever Keith said went. But he said also, it was obvious that Keith was just as crazy about her. They loved to go out with their friends. They loved to socialize. They were a big part of the Robinson community. Darlene was also very close to Keith's family and they loved her like a daughter. Keith's father said that he thought that Darlene, or he and Keith's mother thought that Darlene was really good for Keith because he did settle down. Now, Keith worked as a traveling electrician for an architecture firm, and he really liked his job, but it kept him gone from home quite a lot. In fact, he was gone on an average about four days out of the week from home. Now, Darlene decided that she didn't really like being a dental assistant, so after their second son was born, she went back to school to become a nurse. The couple was very busy, and during the week, they really didn't see much of each other because of their crazy work schedules. But Keith's parents kept the boys quite often for them on the weekends so they could have time together and have some adult time, have some grown up time and they liked to socialize and they were very happy for quite some time. When the couple found out though that Darlene was pregnant with their third son, Keith decided that he needed to change jobs. He needed to be closer to home so that he could help out and be more involved during the week. So he took a job with a local electric company that meant a pay cut and Keith really wasn't that fond of his job. But he said it was worth it because he would be home every night with his kids it had regular hours eight to five and he could help out with the boys now darlene and keith had had three children in under five years like i said their life was really busy very hectic plus keith's new job did put them in a bit of a financial strain diapers formula all baby stuff is really expensive and so with this pay cut it was starting to put some cracks in their relationship. I personally had two under two at one point, and it was stressful. You don't have time to do anything. So I can't imagine having three little kids so close together in just a time span of right under five years. That's a lot. Now Keith told his family that even though he didn't like his new job, it was worth it because he was able to spend time with his family. And I know I just said that, but I'm going back over it because that's what Keith was quoted as telling his family. And by all accounts, Keith was a very involved father and husband and he loved his sons very much. He was very devoted to his family. Now, another thing that was starting to cause some problems in the relationship was that Darlene liked to shop. And I don't mean she liked to shop a little bit. She bought furniture. She bought jewelry, clothes, shoes. If she wanted it, she bought it. She bought things for their house. She wanted their house to look nice. So she bought things like new dining room sets, you know, tables, chair furniture. She bought things for the boys. And she liked to look nice too. Money was no object Darlene. If she liked it, she bought it. And in the process, she racked up large amounts of credit card debt. But it wasn't just the problem of the debt. Because on top of everything, she wasn't paying the bills. So creditors had started calling the Gentry household and asking where was their money? When were they going to get paid? It got so bad that not only were the creditors calling Keith and Darlene's home, they also started calling Keith's parents' house too, trying to get money. Now, this upset Keith a lot, and rightfully so. You know, he was very concerned about the debt. He did not want their credit to be ruined, and he was frugal. He believed that you should only spend what you made. You shouldn't put yourself into big debt. And it was obvious that that was where they were headed. Another thing that was starting to cause problems in their marriage was they disagreed about the way the children should be raised. And all of you that have kids know, money and kids, even in the best strongest of marriages, are usually your top two arguments. Keith and Darlene didn't agree on things. Keith thought that Darlene was too lenient on the boys he thought they needed more structure, and Darlene thought that he was just kind of over the top about everything. So, cracks were starting to show. But Keith told his friends and family that he was determined to stick things out in their marriage, and he really wanted to work to get things back on track. But friends and family noticed that the couple didn't seem to be trying to do anything to make things better. In fact, They were spending less and less time together. Darlene was leaving the kids with her in-laws so she could go out with friends. And Keith just seemed to be more and more unhappy. Things were very tense in the Gentry household. (laughs) On the morning of November 9th, 2005, Darlene Gentry made a 911 call. She said that it looked like her house had been broken into, and then she followed it up with she thought her husband had been shot. She said he was making a terrible noise and that pink foam was coming out of his mouth. Now remember, Darlene is an RN, but she made no moves of any kind to help her husband Keith before the paramedics arrived. Keith's father, Wayman Gentry, had a routine. He woke up at 5.30 every morning, would get his paper, and drink coffee. Now remember, Keith's parents live right next door to Darlene and Keith. They can see their house very clearly from their own porch. Well, around 6 a.m., Wayman Gentry saw police driving up Keith and Darlene's driveway. So he walked over and he asked the police what was going on. He said he thought that maybe there had been a a burglary, but he had, of course, no clue what was really going on. The police told him to stay in his own yard. And Mr. Gentry said, well, that's my son's house. And the officer told him that it didn't matter. He needed to stay in his own yard. So Keith's father began to worry immediately. Now, while Keith's father was out in the yard talking to police, Darlene was inside the house and she had called Keith's mother. She told her that she thought someone had broken into the house and that they had shot Keith while they were there to try to rob them. And she asked Keith's mother if he would please come, she would please come get the boys because she didn't want them at the house while everything was happening. But the police would not let Keith's mother come take the boys. In fact, they put Darlene and the boys in the boys' bedroom and closed the door while they searched the house to make sure that there was no one in the house and that everything was safe. Now, when police arrived, they immediately felt like something was off. It just didn't feel right. It didn't look like someone had broken into the gentry house. There was no forced entry on the back door. It was just standing wide open. Also, Darlene claimed all of Keith's guns had been stolen, but. Whoever took the guns had used the key to the gun case to unlock the door and then neatly put it back on top of the gun case where the key was kept. So, let me kind of explain the gun case a little more to you guys. The gun case is a wooden cabinet with a glass door that has built in slots all along the back for rifles and shotguns to be stored in. It's kind of like a China cabinet, but for guns. Pretty glass door on the front, has a little key that has a lock and you lock the door so that kind of gives you an idea of what we're looking at now whoever stole the guns took the time to look around for the key that was placed on top of the gun case use the key to unlock the door and then they very politely put the key back on top of the gun case where it was kept doesn't that sound a little odd i mean most thieves would have just in the glass and taken what they wanted. Another odd thing was that police found all the guns that had been in the gun case stacked neatly in a pile outside in the front yard. So they broke in the house, shot Keith, took the guns, but then left them all knack- stacked neatly in a pile in the front yard. That's odd too. The only gun that was missing was a 22 caliber hand, handgun, a pistol. So basically, the thieves went to all that trouble and left with nothing. Hmm. Nothing else in the house had been touched. Nothing else had been stolen. None of all the jewelry that Darlene owned. No TVs. Nothing. They had touched nothing. Else. Also, police thought it was odd that Keith had been shot in his bed while he was lying down. It looked like he had been asleep during the robbery. He had not confronted the robbers. Police said, you know, typically, if someone wants to rob a house, they don't want to kill anyone. They want to get in, they want to get out. The only time something like that happens is if someone is home and they confront them. They said it would have been more typical if they had found Keith lying in front of of the gun case, not in his bed. Now, paramedics rushed Keith to the hospital, but instead of going to the hospital with her husband, Darlene chose to go to the police station. Now, I don't know about y'all, but if my husband's been shot and his life is hanging on by a thread, I could talk to the police later. I would want to be there at the hospital with him. But Darlene said she wanted to be as helpful as possible. So she went to the police station to answer questions about what happened. Darlene told the police that she had gone out with a friend in a town about 30 minutes away from Robinson and she had arrived home between 8 and 9 p.m. that evening. When she got home, she and Keith had gotten into an argument about their finances. So since she didn't want to fight with Keith in front of the kids, she decided to leave the house, give him time to cool off. And she drove around for about an hour and let things settle. Darlene said that when she came back home, Things were calmed down and that they had a very civil conversation about how they were going to get their finances back on track and that things were great. They were settled between them and they decided to go to bed. And Darlene said she tried to go to bed in their bedroom, but their sons had been sick and not feeling well, especially the 18 month old. And so she got up, went into the other bedroom where the boys were. And turned on a movie, hoping to get them calmed down. They really weren't sleepy yet. Turned on a movie, had them all lay down. And that she laid down in the bed next to the youngest to try to comfort him and make him feel better. And then she fell asleep in the bedroom. Now she said the movie was on and the bedroom door was closed, trying to get everyone quieted down. Well, she woke up at 5.30 the next morning not and realized that she had fallen asleep in the bed with her kids looked at the clock and knew that she had to get up and get moving or she and keith would both be late for work they needed to get their day started so she got up closed the door to the boy's bedroom and started walking across the house in her pajamas but she noticed that it felt very cool in the house and she thought why is it so cold that's when she noticed that the back door was standing wide open well, she said at first she didn't think much of it. She had gone out in the middle of the night to put a dirty diaper in the outside trash cans because she didn't want it to smell bad in the house. And she thought, maybe I didn't close the door very good. Maybe I forgot to lock it. But that's when she noticed that all of the guns from Keith's gun safe were missing. And that's when she started yelling for Keith. Yelling for him to wake up because someone had broken into their house and stolen his guns. She said she got halfway down the hallway to their bedroom to wake him up. And that's when she noticed that he was making an odd sound. In fact, in her words, she said it was at a God awful sound. Now, wouldn't this immediately scare you? If you now your house has been broken into and you hear your husband making a God awful sound, but y'all, as she's telling this, I watched these interviews, these police interviews several times. She's so calm. It's like she's just talking about some news report she read, not that this just happened less than an hour ago and it's her own husband who's now in the hospital hanging on to dear life by a thread. She said, Keith usually snored, but she immediately noticed something was off. And that's when she went into their room and saw that he had pink foam coming from his mouth and he was struggling to breathe. Now, I am no trained medical profession, but I would have immediately tried to run over and do something to help my husband. But she said that she shook his leg and tried to get him to talk to her. I mean, really? You just told police that a God awful sound was coming from him and pink foam is coming from her mouth. You're a registered nurse, but that's what you did to help him. So then. She got her cell phone off the dresser, turned the cell phone on and waited for the service to connect and then called 911. Doesn't that awful also seem odd? Your husband's been shot, your house has been broken into, but she seems to have no sense of urgency whatsoever. As she's telling her police, her story to the police, it's pretty obvious that She was just dragging things out to make sure that Keith did not survive. And she's not doing a very good job of covering that up. Now, rightfully so, police were pretty suspicious of her right away. And not just the detectives doing her interview. The patrol officers that arrived on scene first automatically thought something was off. and. You can listen to their dash cam video as they talk about it. They're saying, you know, something's not right with this. It does not look like a typical burglary. You can also watch her police interview on YouTube. And like I said, I watched it several times while I was working on this episode. And at first I thought maybe I'm being biased because I already know that they found her guilty. But after watching it more than once, no, she is very calm. She's very collected. She doesn't act like someone who's just been through a tragic scenario. And in fact, she will put her hands down into her, I mean, her face down into her hands and start to cry. But then the officer, the detective, will ask her a question, and she'll look up at him. There are no tears on her face. And you can see that from even the grainy video footage of the interview. So I'm sure if you were there in the interview room with her, it was real obvious that there was no genuine emotion going on. Darlene told the dispatcher that her house had been broken into and that all of her husband's guns had been stolen. Last, she told the dispatcher that her husband had been shot. Now, same like we talked about. Wouldn't that be the first thing you told the operator? Police also thought that was strange. And they also thought it was strange that because she was an RN, she offered her husband no help whatsoever. And they asked her about this. Well, Darlene said she was in shock and that she was just in mama mode and not nurse, nurse mode. And then all she could think about was keeping her kids safe. But... In that whole, it just, nothing, none of her responses seemed natural to police, to prosecutors, to anyone who heard this, because wouldn't you want the father of your children to live? Wouldn't that be a way to keep your kids safe from heartache and emotional trauma? I mean, and the kids weren't even in the room, they were in their bedroom. So then detectives went on to ask her about the gunshot. They said, you know, You were just in another room of the house. What? Um, didn't you hear anything? I mean, a gunshot really loud. I don't know. For those of you that have not, are not familiar with guns, have not spent any time around them. My family, we're all hunters. So I've spent my whole life growing up around guns. They're loud. It's not quiet. You can hear it. And if a gun had gone off in your house you're going to notice. But Darlene said, well, you know, that really surprised her too that she didn't hear anything. Maybe it was because the movie was on and the door was closed. She said, you know, she wasn't really such a heavy sleeper, so she doesn't know why she didn't wake up. During her interview, she never asked once if they'd had any updates on how Keith was doing. Nothing. That also sent up a lot of red flags to the police. Now, an hour into the interview, The hospital called the police department and told police that Keith had been declared brain dead. So they cut the interview short and they immediately drove Darlene over to the hospital where other friends and family had gathered waiting for news on Keith. Just a few minutes after Darlene arrived, Keith was removed from the respirator and he passed away. Same thing though, friends, family, police noticed not a lot of emotion from Darlene a few of those crocodile tears but that was it so the police told darlene that they would like to after she composed herself they'd like to resume the interview and so she went right back with them now 2 hours in it was obvious that police were really interested in darlene so she stopped the interview invoked her sixth and fifth amendment rights and said she wanted an attorney. So they stopped the interview and told her they would pick up later when her attorney was present. Now while everyone was at the hospital with Keith and Darlene was at the police department being interviewed, other officers were still at the Gentry house searching for evidence. And right there in their kitchen trash can under some other garbage, they found an inside-out latex glove with a 22 shell casing buried in the trash. Now, remember, the only gun missing in the whole robbery was a 22 caliber pistol. And now they found a 22 caliber shell casing in the trash can with a latex glove? I mean, bless her heart, y'all. She just wasn't very smart about any of it. She didn't even try to dispose of the evidence somewhere else keith's autopsy results also returned and it was determined that a 22 caliber bullet was what had been used to shoot keith in the head so things are not looking good for darlene they also did some digging into keith and darlene's finances saw that they were in terrible debt from all of darlene's credit cards And also discovered that Keith had two life insurance policies on him that totaled $750,000. So, every time the police tried to shift things away from Darlene, it all just kept pointing back at her. 19 days after Keith's murder, lab results came back on the latex glove from the kitchen trash can. Darlene's DNA was inside the glove. Darlene said there were all kinds of reasons that there could be a latex glove in her trash can. I mean, maybe she brought it home from work, but that doesn't make a lot of sense. Medical professionals don't wear their dirty clothes home from work and then dispose of them in their own trash can. So that was the thing. Every time Darlene tried to offer a reason for the things that police found that pointed to her as the person who murdered Keith, her reasoning just didn't make sense. The one thing police were still hoping to find was the pistol that had been used to murder Keith Gentry. That was still missing. Another thing that threw up a red flag for police, was that Darlene tested positive for gunshot residue on her hands, even though she claimed that she had never, ever fired a gun in her entire life. I know I said it already y'all, but just not very smart. On November 28th, 2005, Darlene was arrested and charged with the murder of her husband, Keith Gentry. At this point, Keith's parents still fully supported Darlene, and they even helped her raise her $50,000 bail. They believed she was innocent and had her and the boys move into their house with them so that she wouldn't be alone. And they also didn't want them being in the house where Keith was killed. They didn't want that for Darlene or the boys. Keith's parents were convinced that the police were looking at the wrong suspect. So while Darlene was out on bail and awaiting trial, she contacted a local, local builder and real estate agent named Rob Pavelka. Darlene wanted a fresh start. She did not want to live in the house where Keith had been murdered, and she didn't want the boys to live in that house. So she was looking for a new house. She wanted somewhere new. I will say this for her. She was confident that things were going to go her way and that she was gonna be innocent. Now Pavelka told her that he didn't have a house for sale, But he did have a nice piece of property with a pond on it in Axtell, another small town just a few miles away. Darlene was very excited about this and she said that would be great because Keith loved to fish and had always wanted a place for the boys to be able to go fishing. So she wanted to go out and look at the property because she knew that sounded like something Keith would have liked. When Darlene went out to look at the property, she immediately fell in love she said this was the perfect place to raise the boys it's the kind of place keith would have loved he would have loved all the oak trees he would have loved that pond he could have taken the boys fishing this was it she could build a new house for her and her sons right there she told rob pavelka she wanted the property but then in december she called rob And said that she still wanted the property, but could he fill the pond in? She'd changed her mind. The pond wasn't a good idea. Could she just fill it in? Now this seemed really odd to Rob Pavelka, because earlier, just a few weeks ago, that had been one of the main selling points for of the property for Darlene was that pond. So Pavelka had a friend in the police department there in Robinson, and he called him and he said, you know, hey, maybe I'm reading too much into this, but I think it's kind of odd that the weapon's never been found. Here's this pond. She's been out to the property a time or two now to see it and not always with me. And now she wants the pond filled in. Well, his friend at the police department agreed. And by this time, Texas Rangers were also involved in the investigation. So they called in a dive team, went out to the property, and within 15 minutes, they recovered Keith's missing 22 from the pond on the property that Darlene was so hot to purchase. Now Darlene had no idea that they had found that gun. So the Ra- Texas Rangers asked Pavelka if he would work with them to get Darlene back out on that property and set her up because they thought for sure she'd come back looking for the gun. So the rangers went out, set up surveillance cameras, pointed right at the pond. And then Rob Pavelka card, called Darlene and said that sure, he could fill the pond in for her, but to do it properly, they'd have to drain it first. Well, it didn't take Darlene long after she talked to Rob Pavelka, she didn't waste any time. She got in her car and went out to the property, and there she is, y'all, right on the video, walking around in knee-high wading boots, poking around under the water, right where the Texas Rangers had found Keith's gun. I mean, all her blonde hair is flapping in the breeze, And she's knee deep out in the water with a stick, just fishing and poking and looking for it. Again, not smart. I don't know. Maybe she is smart, but she's so used to getting what she wants. Maybe she thinks she's just going to be able to charm her way out of a murder conviction. Maybe it's a little of both. I don't know. But on January 11th, thousand six. Darlene was formally indicted for first-degree murder. Now, Keith's family was still 100% behind Darlene when she went when the trial began on February 6, 2007. Everyone still her family, even though there had been lots of rumors about her, people thought she was innocent. Well, when the prosecution showed that video of Darlene out in the pond poking around, with that stick, trying to look for something. Everyone in the courtroom was shocked. There wasn't a sound as jurors, friends, family, everyone watched. Darlene didn't know they had that. And then the defense rested. They didn't even try to defend Darlene. Throughout the trial, Darlene was calm, she didn't show much emotion. In fact, that was the only time she showed much emotion at all was when they played the video. The jurors deliberated for over five hours. And even though the prosecution, you know, most of it was circumstantial, they felt like they had a really strong case. But they were getting a little nervous because it took the jurors five hours to decide that Darlene Gentry was guilty of first degree murder, and she was sentenced to 60 years in prison. Now the Gentry's and even her family, after seeing all that, and Keith's friends are convinced that Darlene's the one who's responsible for Keith's murder. But Darlene immediately filed an appeal, but it was denied. Keith's parents were granted full custody of the couple's three sons and in 2010 a court order prohibited Darlene from having any contact whatsoever with her children. Darlene has done several interviews from prison and still maintains her innocence to this day. She will be eligible for parole in 2037. Thank you for listening today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Share your thoughts, I'd love to hear from you or ideas for upcoming episodes. I'd love to hear those too. I've had several lately that I'm working on. So thank you so much for those. Um, remember, if you like what you hear, tell a friend to listen. Please subscribe. Leave a five star review. You can contact me at Texas True Crime Podcast at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at Texas True Crime Pod. You can find me on Facebook at Texas True Crime. Thanks for listening and I'll see you all next week. Bye.